Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and uh, I welcome you to our first show for the night, The Magisterial Mission, hosted by Michael and Diane Duncan. Tonight's guest is Nick Curdo, and the topic is Messages from the Gods, Athena, Maitreya, Poseidon, and the Universal Mother. I'm really looking forward to the show. Greetings and welcome, hosts and guests alike. <laughs> Greetings. Greetings, Hercules. Hi, Greetings, Hercules. Nick. Oh, hey. Good to be here with you guys. Looking forward oh. to the show. Thank you. We're delighted to hear your voices, both of you. So I pass the scepter onto the Duncans, and we may proceed. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, at you. some point, I would love yeah. to see what that scepter looks like. I really, every time he says that, I'm thinking, what does it look like? Hercules, maybe well, at some point you could photograph it and send uh, it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, will yeah. It, I will bring it to the next uh, DNNY uh, meeting I come to. Oh, oh, you have a deal, my friend. You have a deal. That sounds great. <laughs> uh, Nick and Hercules, yeah. um, we yes. used the scepter in one of our videos that we did. And oh, very scepter, Yeah, we, we used one, too. Um, it's about, oh, let's see, about 10 inches long, okay, I think. Okay. Um, it's made of carved jade, and it came from Silai Temple. Uh, now, wow. this is not a Maitreya Great Dao. It's a regular Buddhist temple that we uh, attend and go to, and it was blessed by the, the, uh, the monks there. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Yes, and it is in one of the um, videos. Uh, we did use the scepter to bless everyone and all the celestials. So, Hercules, you have a scepter you use, too? Um, my scepter is more metaphorical than anything else, but I do use a Thor's hammer uh, to consecrate <laughs> things. So uh, uh, oh, I was thinking okay. of bringing that, uh, or I will design a new scepter <laughs> and bring with me. But there will be a scepter well, next time I'm at the DNNY. Well, may I may I ask the question, uh, uh, Diane and, and and Michael and of course Hercules, where did the scepter originally come from? Uh, what, what, is there a particular culture or 
Uh, does anybody have an idea? It is uh, a symbol of authority yielded by uh, right. kings, royalty. By kings, and, right. And so that's where yeah. we think that's the first use of it was the scepter for kings, rulers. Yes. Um, okay. Our scepter is in the form of like fungi. It's um, it's Chinese, and so therefore it's um, uh, uh, like a fungi, like a, kind of like, you know, you think of like a mushroom type of thing. Uh, oh, wow. And on each end, and it is uh, called a scepter. And uh, like I say, it was blessed by by the Selai Temple um, uh, Monastery there. Um, and it is, I, I'll send a picture, Michael will send a picture to both of you of it. Awesome. Because it, it is something really important in our home because it was uh, blessed by them. Uh, they have at Selai Temple a museum, an Asian museum in their monastery. And it has many, in fact, probably, there's probably a hundred of them, a hundred of these fungi wow. scepters. And they're, wow. they're almost all made of jade. And uh, they're, they're really very beautiful. And I'll send you a picture of ours. <laughs> Diane, do you know for, uh, like, was it used in the ceremony, the Buddhist ceremony itself? Was it used? Did it have a particular place in the ceremonies? I I am told that they 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 do, but I don't know what uh, particular uh, area that they do use it. Maybe I can try and find that out. We do go to Selai Temple. Uh, they have the most marvelous brunches. <laughs> well, they have eat. what? <laughs> brunches. Have we have uh, what? All you can eat uh, at the Selai <laughs> wow. Temple. Wow. <laughs> so it's all vegetarian. And um, oh. they, they sometimes have two or three hundred people put, put through at a lunch or dinner there. It's just a huge temple. It's a monastery where it's like a tourist attraction. I would say it's like a, a block long and a block wide with it's, all the gardens uh, and everything. It's one of the biggest uh, Buddhist monasteries in the Western Hemisphere. It's either the, wow. it's either the first biggest or second biggest. Mm-hmm. It's called Silai Temple. Uh, the first word is H-S-I-C. Uh, second word is Lai, L-A-I. So Si-Lai Temple. And the monk uh, who started the temple, uh, his name is Star Cloud. His, his Chinese name translates in English to Star Cloud. So, uh, Beautiful name. Yeah, one of, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest temples in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, and they have, uh, you know, they have uh, a university there. They have Silai University. So uh, we took a class there. <laughs> yeah, Diane and I took took a, a Buddhist class, and uh, one of the there was like a, a special class that we went to one time, and it was given. The talk was given by uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. I don't know if you guys are familiar with uh, the the he's a Vietnamese Vietnamese, Vietnamese monk who um, was an activist during the Vietnam War a Vietnam Vietnamese Buddhist monk. Wow. Um, but he's uh, he's pretty popular in the U.S. Um, he's he's got courses that he teaches. He's got um, you can look him up. You can Google him. It's uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. It's T H I C H, I believe, N H A T H A H N, Thich Nhat Han. 
Uh, he did some work with a man, uh, a doctor named Dr. David Simon, uh, working on, you know, psychology, um, mental, uh, what do they call it now? Uh, oh, mindfulness, mindfulness. He has a, a, a series on uh, mindfulness, Thich Nhat Hanh. You guys should look him up. He's, uh, he's very, very good. I mean, <laughs> it's like... <laughs> It's like he talks about uh, he talks about walking meditation. I don't know if you guys are familiar okay. with walking meditation, uh, and he believes in uh, he believes in really listening, uh, listening in the silence to any problems that you may have, anything that's bothering you or the world, to really go into the silence to find the core root of that problem. And really meditate on it and view it, uh, breathe, breathing ec- with breathing exercises to really, to really find the solution to that particular problem. So he came to a special class at Sea Light Temple, which was fabulous. Um, and then mm-hmm. at Sea Light Temple, like Diane said, they have the brunches, you know, the, the beautiful food, vegetarian food, uh, and they have this museum where they have uh, they have beautiful artifacts people have made and from history and we bought one of these scepters it's a jade scepter uh and you can and we used it in <clears throat> we used it in one of our um one of our maitreya uh maitreya's temple spiritual gatherings it was usually the second or the third one mm-hmm. to, to bless uh they use them to bless people yeah. To bless. Oh, okay. Okay. I would think that sounds right to me, too. I, th- I was thinking that's probably what it was, so I'm not that far off. Well, also, though, to bless the fruit. Um, in the Buddhist, and especially in Maitreya Great Dao, uh, when we went over to Malaysia, they have a great big hall in their church, and they actually have a new, a new temple now since we've been there. But they had, like, about 50 girls on either side. And the whole uh, center vacant, except for rows and rows of tables full of watermelons and cantaloupes and uh, plates of citrus fruits. And then each person would go up and march up to the altar and then place them on the tables before the altar. And then the priest will bless, bless the giving of of these fruits, bless the fruits and bless the cantaloupes and the watermelons and all. So they're all blessed by those monks there. And then there are some things in the museum that the monks have blessed. Um, We also got a beautiful pendant that is... Now you're um, talking about Sea Light Temple. Sea Light Temple now. Now I'm back to Sea Light Temple. (laughs) It's uh, it's Mahayana Buddhist uh, that she's going back to. Right. She she jumped to I jumped, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Maitreya Great Tao but then back to uh mainline Buddhism. Right, right. But at Silai Temple, um, we bought this beautiful pendant that has um the, the Diamond Sutra. Um all of the words to the Diamond Sutra written on this tiny little pendant. It's really an amazing thing. And they also have uh at Silai Temple a little tiny piece that they believe of a little uh, seed-like that they have kept for hundreds of years that they say is from the Buddha. Oh, we don't know, but <laughs> but anyway, you can go see that and decide yourself. Yeah, it's a where is the uh, location of the temple again? Uh, I didn't quite catch where it was located. Oh, 
It's in Hacienda Heights, California. Is that far from from you? Or? Well, it's you know I'd say it's probably an hour from LA. Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe less than an hour. Maybe like forty-five minutes south east, I think, of Los Angeles. E- east um, of LA. Okay. <laughs> but but it's really a rough idea. Attraction because it's it's so huge and there are so many uh, different gardens that are huge with with big statues and everything. Each garden is labeled differently with uh, different celestials, you know, and so forth. It's really an extraordinary thing to place to go. Really oh, I would love to see that okay. next time I'm out to California. I mean, that really sounds like something to to, to look at. So well, sign me up. I will definitely want to see that. Oh, you should. You should. Well, you're you invited, should. both of you, and we'll take you out Thank there you. for lunch and we'll treat. <laughs> it's another uh, I look forward to that to that time. I really do, and um, I, I I think that would be an amazing an amazing time with you guys and Hercules. That would be wonderful. I wanted to interject one thing about a friend of oh, mine, yeah. a dear uh-huh. friend who I graduated with from the Massachusetts College of Art and Design in Boston, uh-huh. and um, she. Um, eventually accepted the Buddhist traditions. And a few years ago, she told me that she had taken, listen to this, a one-year vow of silence by going to the the Himalayas and being, being in a small, very small little cottage in the middle of no nothing, there was nothing around her, no people, nothing at all. And I said to her, how did you read? Did you grow? How did you do this? And she said, there was a place where there was a delivery of food every so often. I never saw that person who delivered my food, and he never saw me. But for one wow. year, that's how I, I ate with the, with the delivery of the food. Oh, yes. Wow. Can you imagine one year of of total silence? And I said, was it a good experience? And she said, I don't even have words to tell you how wonderful it was. Yes. And I hope she said no pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But anyhow, I thought that was quite remarkable that she did that. You know, the Catholics do that, too. The Catholic uh, Catholics will take vows of silence. So even the lay people will do retreats. Yes. Oh, uh, silent, I did one. Silent I did retreat. silent retreat. They'll do silent retreats. Yeah. But, you know, this, uh, this Buddhist temple, you know, is another example of, of people in the East, people really uh, wanting to spread, you know, the good news uh, that that religion can, can bring, that, that gods or God or Buddhas or whatever, these these uh, very high up celestials and maybe some close to us celestials, they're, they're trying to, to spread this, uh, you know, the good news of, of what the celestials are saying and what the celestials are doing. Just like Maitreya Great Tao, there are lots of Maitreya Great Tao temples also in uh, in the world, you know, they're represented. Maitreya Great Dao's represented in 68 different countries. And of course, you know, Buddhism, millions and millions and millions. And I think it's just uh, it's just tremendous that uh, that people do this. And and I think that it's something that the celestials kind of want us to do in a way. 
You know, in the Urantia book, it said uh, Jesus sent them out two by two to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, you know. I think it's innate within us to uh, have a really deep relationship with with God or the gods, uh, and then to share that, you know. And so I know tonight we're talking about we're talking about the celestials, uh, Greeks, you know, represented by the Greek, represented by uh, those we hear about in the Arantia book, talking to us. Uh, and you know, we've had some really neat experiences along the way, and our most recent is with Poseidon. <laughs> so we, we wow. Know we know that you know a lot about Poseidon, Hercules, and we've got a little information, too. So can you tell uh, us? Oh, well, I just wanted to make one mention before we um, we go on with this, is that Venus wanted us to continue with trying as a goal the 554 plan. And in that, you work your daily job five hours a day, but then the other five hours you are silent. You don't speak. You either meditate or pray or just relax and read something of spiritual content, but you are silent for five hours a day. And that is the goal that she has for us. Now, um, she said, even if you're not able to do that, try a half an hour. Try a half an hour a day of being uh, totally silent. So this, this has been a recent message somewhat. Uh, the 554 plan, five hours of your job. She wants, uh, Matreya wants to get a five-hour workday. And then five okay. hours complete silence, four hours doing the things you need to do, shopping and so forth, and then the rest, you know, getting ready for bed and having a relaxing time. But uh, I just wanted to mention that before we went on, that they actually have given us that, that they would like us a goal and the people of this earth to have as long a period of, as possible that they can manage of silence. And that's coming at a time when the media and, you know, we are all uh, in this together <clears throat> with everything that we have, the television sets, our, our uh, v- CDs, our VCRs, our, our cell phones. There's so many ways that we're getting bombarded every second with information and sound and images that it seems like the, the the right thing to do would be to do the exact opposite for a while to kind of maintain balance. Would, would you say that was correct? Oh, of course, of course. And the, and the goal is five hours. Can you imagine? Wow. Goodness. A but day. A day. I think one of the goals, though, I think – it seemed to me like when, when they were presenting this 554 plan to us, it seemed like the goal was to be silent so that you could talk to someone other than yourself and someone other than who, who's on your cell phone or receive entertainment from the TV that it seemed to me like they wanted us to start talking to them. Oh, definitely. Oh, of course. You have to be quiet to be able to hear them. That's right. Because, you know, uh, Hercules, you know, we we talked early on about how the father, the local universe father, Zeus, wanted us to thank him for for our precious life. 
And the local universe mother, Hera, wanted us to thank her for all the blessings we receive. And then later on we, we talked about uh, that the universal father wanted us to thank him for, uh, you know, for helping us to attain world peace and some stability on our planet. It's funny, I go throughout my day, and, you know, I'm a teacher, and I also sing mm-hmm. in church, uh, and you guys, you know, you're pretty busy too, I'm, I'm very busy, but it seems like the most effective time for me to communicate with them, feel their presence, gain insight, uh, gain healing, is when I am in those quiet times, the silent times. Very true. I give myself two or three periods uh, a day, around half an hour, 20 minutes, half an hour, of uh, when I meditate. And I proceed until uh, I've reached alpha, and then I've gone a little bit beyond uh, the alpha brainwave pattern. And I find those times very relaxing, very uh, centering, and very uh, uh, rejuvenating. And it's during those uh, hypnagogic, hypnopompic type of uh, times when I receive a lot of my uh, messages from my uh, uh, meditation. So I look forward to that every day. Oh, that's wonderful. You know, uh, you really almost need uh, as much time as possible, but I don't know how you are, but it takes me a while to get relaxed. I'm kind of a nervous person, you know. I've got two kids and teenagers and all, and there's a busy household, you know. But it takes me a while to really settle down. And so uh, I can see why that they're saying, you know, try and take as long as, as possible because it takes me a while to get into that state. Now, uh, I know I've heard where some people can get into it right away, and it sounds like you, Hercules, are, are one of those people. But, boy, I'll tell you, it takes me a while to really settle down, you know. Well, but they're asking for five hours. Yeah, they're asking for I don't give that to them. <laughs> but, I mean, that's the goal. <laughs> You know, when you're living in a place like New York City, oh and I'm on a major, two major streets. I'm on 86th Street and 3rd Avenue. Both are major, major streets with trucks oh, yes. and taxis and everything uh-huh. else. Yeah. And believe me, when you hear the sirens and the ambulances and the and name it, and, and the people and the children and everything else, it's a symphony unto itself. However, <laughs> and here we go. When I get in an elevator and I go up to the 25th floor where I have my little apartment and close the door, uh, it's like like going up into a little mountain because all of a sudden all those noises are very muted. And I can honestly tell you that it, it balances me very much to be able to get away from the symphony of the city and go into a very quiet area. So in my case, being in a place like this, a very, very busy city, to do that really helps me. And I totally get what you're saying, and you need that, that quiet time. And that's also when you, you have wonderful ideas and imagination can take over also and help you. Of course, of course. 25th floor. Well, you're going all the way up to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in a way, you know, I never, until I moved into this building, when I moved to New York, I've always been on the first floor, on the ground floor, always. So Uh this was quite a, uh, 
getting in an oh. elevator and going for like a minute ride, you know, oh. up, up, up. Uh-huh. But the building itself has 36 stories, so I can't oh, even imagine. So and the, uh, oh, yeah, go ahead. Well, when I was in Boston, I lived in oh, um, right near the Mission Hill area, next to where the, uh, the, uh, the big uh, Metropolitan Museum is in Boston on Huntington Avenue. Oh, and okay. so, and Boston's a very, you know, many ways a fairly more flat than than New York by by a long shot. So I always lived on the ground floor wherever I was, oh. you know. So this was quite something oh, okay. to 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 call home on the twenty fifth floor of a building. You know, so, uh-huh. but, you know but, it's. Um... Oh, I, I just want to say it's interesting because uh, I haven't been doing it for a long time, but uh, I used to have a practice where when I would uh, lay down and, and want to meditate that I would visualize going up, up, up a floor, up a second floor. Actually, I went in a tree. <laughs> I went a tree no. into a tree and visualized going up, up, up the center of the tree until you get all the way above the clouds. Ooh. And then you stay there. <laughs> I love that imagery. That's wonderful. Yeah, and then when you come down, of course, you know, then uh, you should be pretty relaxed, you know. But that's what it reminded me of, the, that meditation I used to do. Uh, you're going up 25 floors in the elevator. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, in some of the new buildings that are going up, and there's quite a few right now, that they're, going, they're rising way over 100 floors. Oh, no. You can imagine that some of these buildings, the new ones, they're like slivers. Wait till you come to New York and see the <laughs> landscape and see these new buildings. Well, and see, people, I haven't been in there some for cases, so long, so I, I, I'm ha- sure it's really changed. <laughs> well, I, I look, so look forward to having you guys visit. That would be incredible. Would and be incredible. Um, some of the people have to switch elevators because one elevator won't go up all the flights. You have to, like, switch oh, yeah. halfway. To another elevator to continue up to the 125th floor, whatever it is. So even though I can't even imagine, I mean, 25, I look down and the people are very tiny. You know, you can (laughs) see the cars. But can you imagine living on like the 125th floor? Oh, oh my, my goodness. Well, it'd be just like my meditations. You you go up there, and I wonder if they feel like that, if they have that feeling that, you know, once you go up, you know, it's kind of like you shed all of your problems and everything, <laughs> and when you arrive at the top, you know, you're free of it all. Um, I well, don't that's know if you exactly guys, right. Uh, that That's exactly how it works. <laughs> it really does do that, and I feel I feel very different when I go from the ground floor to the 25th floor. I, it, yeah. it's, a, it's a different... It's a different mindset, so you're exactly right what you're saying. <laughs> you know, also, too, guys, and I'm, I know you've been on airplanes enough, probably more than I have, but uh, also when you're in an airplane, you know, and you're up above the clouds, you know, boy, I'll tell you, uh, I don't know if you're like me, but, oh, everything is gone. I mean, it's like all your worries, all your problems, everything mm-hmm. is out the window, and you, you just feel like, oh, my golly, if I could live like this all the time and every day and not have any problems and, and have this wonderful feeling, you know, that all it, shed, does, you know? it does do that. You know, when I'm in an, L, uh, an airplane, um, I can't help but continually look out the window. When other people are reading a magazine, I'm right. thinking, look what's outside, you know? Right. Even if it's just cl- wonderful clouds, but sometimes you can see the landforms or the mountains or, right. in some cases, the, uh, the ice or the trees uh-huh. in the forest. I'm glued, 
I'm absolutely glued to, uh, isn't to the window it, when I'm in the plane. Isn't a fantastic feeling? I mean, you feel like you, you, you don't uh, have any um, worries or uh, of any kind. I mean, you're, you're really free. It's fabulous. It's, it's, it's good therapy, what you're yeah, saying here, it's, but it's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. <laughs> it is. Well, I do my, I do my meditations. Um, my meditations mostly are centered around my post work day. Like mm-hmm. I call it I call it stabilizing. Uh and what it is is uh when there's a major work event that I'm finished with, like, you know, I teach pretty much eight, nine hours a day at the school and I've got, you know, kids of all different ages and, you know, they're not necessarily Buddhist monks who are quiet and taking vows of silence and meditating all day long. They're pretty busy, and it can get overwhelming on your nervous system, as you know, Hercules, because you've done a lot of teaching. Yes. So so at the end of my work day, or at the end of a big work event, the first thing I do is I, I either lay down or sit up and I meditate. And what I do is I shed the first the first, uh, you know, the first activity, I guess you could say, is to is to relax all the muscles in my body, clear my mind, shed the the stress and the anxiety of the day, get myself stabilized, so to speak. And then when I get to a point of stabilization, and I feel that release, and I feel more healthy then, you know, I, I kick it into uh, meditation. <clears throat> so I first I first shed all of it, and then I get into the meditation. And I've been really, I've been more disciplined about it now um, so that after every major, like when I sing at the church, because I put out, when I lead the singing, and, and I'm at the Basilica, I'm at the Mission Basilica San Juan Capistrano, which is, it's a national shrine, it's a big church, uh, it's a basilica, and there are a lot of people, you know, that I that I have to lead the singing for. It's a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there are over 300 to 500 people every Mass. So I'm, wow. I'm, putting out, I'm putting out a lot of energy, and I'm putting out spiritual energy because I'm putting a spiritual message out when I sing and when I'm inviting them to sing. So that's a major work event for me, right? Mm-hmm. So when, I, yeah. when I'm done with that, I come home, I stabilize, and meditate. And after every work event, I, I do it. And I'll tell you, I've been doing it for about a month, month or two now, religiously, and it is paying, it is paying incredible dividends for my health. It's really good because... I'm not going straight from a major activity and a major stressor on my nervous system and on my mind to something else, to more work and more work and more work, you know? Absolutely. I'm I'm renewing. And in the process, in these last couple months, my conversations with the celestials has really increased, and I've I've gotten more refined in my uh, communication with them. So I definitely recommend stabilizing slash meditation for anyone out there. Oh, absolutely. A lot of uh, ranch book readers that I know do meditate. Um, A lot of times they do it in the morning 
early in the morning before they start their day or before they go to work, and they do spend time alone meditating. And so, but I'm sure that goes for many, many spiritual callings. But the bottom line is, it's it's healthy, and it helps so much to relax and tune into what you need to tune into. So, in all cases, it's a great it's a great way to to relax and to to have a, a whole different sense of communication. So it's a very good idea. Yeah. How about you, Nick? Do you have any uh, particular practices that you uh, that you practice, or is it like um, are you kind of like Thich Nhat Hanh yeah. that meditates the whole day long? You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, I wish. No, 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 no. I'm. I, you know, I've never. You know, I, I've never been busier in my life than right oh. now. Well, I can honestly it, say that. <laughs> And, and I really have had quite a, a, a brisk, shall we say, journey. But uh-huh. this is, but I have to say, I've never been happier because I'm doing the things that I want to do. And that's the key. Oh. As you, I'm sure you all would agree that if you're, if you're, if you're working with things that are, you're passionate about, that you really care about, it's really not even working. It's, it's, right. it's the joy of living. Oh. And, yeah, and your and mind so is- that, yeah. yeah, but to answer your question, there's no particular time. Occasionally, there there are quiet moments, and I, I look forward to that. And sometimes they can come up unexpectedly. But, but what you're saying is uh, tune into that and try to get some time. So I, I'm not a particular every day at a certain time. It's not like that. Well, my partner, Hal, however, does do a, a meditation every single day, and it's oh. usually a half an hour to an hour. When he when he leaves wherever he is my my home or his or someplace else and and goes and meditates and that's a daily thing that Hal does every single day of the year. Well, uh, in New York, um, is there any place near you where, where you could go where they kind of uh, encourage that, like a garden or some special place that might? Well, uh, uh, luckily, I'm very close to the, uh, the um, Central Park. Oh, and because Central I'm Park. up in the Central Park, and, and because I'm up in the 80s, because Central Park starts in the 60s, uh-huh. so and it goes to 125th Street. But right. by by 86th Street or so, a lot of the tourists will be down in the area of uh, the Plaza Hotel and the very very busy section of Manhattan. So a lot of tourists don't venture this far up. It's uh-huh. usually the people who live here. So it's a quieter place uh, up in this, uh, the 80s and 90s. And we have a, a huge reservoir right here. Oh, um, and uh, joggers uh, jog around this huge uh, body of water, which is right in Central Park. So there's plenty yeah. of places to really relax. And, and oh, thank God that, thank God that they, they left that park and made that park and, and maintained it as well as, as they have. Of course, yes, I know when we were there last, and we were right downtown. It was so busy, and <laughs> oh, my golly. But I, I went to the Metropolitan Museum. Now, that's that's my place, my heaven in New York is the Metropolitan. We went every Oh, I don't day, blame you. That's, incre- that's an incredible place, absolutely. Yeah. And they change the exhibits all the time. And I know. It's, it's, you, I never, ever get, get bored or once oh, going no. to that. There's so many areas of that museum. I don't think you could even see it all in, in one lifetime. It's so big. Well, I I did as 
good as I could for those seven days. <laughs> well, the next time you guys are in New York, though, we'll make certain that we're there. And there's also a cafeteria and a couple of places to have right. coffee and cake there. Right. So you right. can stay there yeah. the whole day and into the night. You know, you oh, really yeah. can. Oh, yeah. I, well, Central Park. All, all I can do is just, uh, I just look at the uh, METS catalogs. They send me, I order them. Usually you have to pay for them, but uh, I do. And uh, that's the way that I... I'm able to travel armchair there where you are, you lucky guy. <laughs> also, you know, they have a they do have a website and so does the um the modern art and you can go to the websites and you really can get a pretty good preview of what's sure. in the museums. So that's sure. another way for anybody to if you're not right here in Manhattan, to take a look and see what's going on. And and the, right. some of the exhibits are extraordinary. Oh yes. Oh yeah. well I loved it. Yeah, that's wonderful. Now, Hercules, do you ever get over there? Um, I, I meditate at home mostly, but any time I have a quiet uh, a period of time, I'll meditate, even if it's outside walking or uh, sitting uh-huh. in a park. Um, did we have to share some messages tonight from uh, yes. Athena and Poseidon? Because yeah. I'm, lo- I'm looking at the clock and uh, our, oh, our journey okay. is going for a little while. So right. I wanted to make sure that the Celestials got a chance to say what they needed to say to us. Um, I Boy, does the time to, go uh, faster or what? The time goes so quickly uh, yeah. in these hours. It's incredible. It really is. Go uh, ahead. I wanted to um, uh, mention a few things from a team meeting that we had on February the 17th. Uh, we weren't able to get it. Uh, 2019 on the 17th of February. Uh, it was at 4 p.m., and we had it upstairs in the great room. And... This was a very special meeting. We, we were able last time we talked uh, to talk about Athena, but we, we didn't get to Poseidon. And Correct. this is really uh, a most wonderful, wonderful celestial. Um, now, we had at this meeting, we had Gabriel, uh, who has promised to attend every meeting that we have. And the second person that we had was the Universal Father. And next to him, the Universal Mother. And then we had Poseidon, who they call Neptune also. Probably most people will probably think of him as Neptune. Yes. Uh, Poseidon came to us in a little different uh, type of way of a celestial. Um, you know, usually I'm always presenting all these blonde celestials with blue eyes, you know, <laughs> and uh, or, or gold eyes or this type of thing. But um, Poseidon has... Um, very stark black hair, and it's straight and long. Now, I don't know how he's presented in mythology because Hercules would be able to tell me all that, but this is the way he presented himself to us. Uh, Uh He came in a beautiful turquoise robe, and um, we'd been wanting to talk to him for a long time. And we were told that he was the husband of Demeter, who we've been having quite often, and her other name is Ceres, the Roman. And Poseidon means the husband of the earth. And, of course, Demeter definitely, I would say, was a goddess of the earth, most most assuredly. Um, Now, Poseidon told us that he was not directly working with the magisterial mission under, um, we have um, uh, Maitreya, and of course we have Gabriel, and the universal father and mother. 
Uh, he was not, because his part of it is more as a supporter, as the universal father and mother are. Uh, now, his consort, Demeter Ceres, she is definitely a part of the magisterial mission, and she's very involved with Maitreya, with the food aspect and um, supplies for the earth, uh, but mainly her part is for the, the soil, the soil, healthy soil, nutrients in the soil, healthy foods for everyone, everyone to uh, have plenty. And people becoming healthier to be yes. able to contribute to the magisterial mission on exactly. a human level. Right. Mm -hmm. So awesome. uh, uh, we found out that Poseidon, his, his job, part of his job, part of his job, he is known as the god of what, what we would say water, water. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, we were trying to understand um, his talk. We had a little difficulty because we weren't quite sure of what he was talking about in the beginning. Um, he was saying that, of course, he is the god of the oceans. Now, not particularly rivers. Now, uh, actually, he's saying that he is the god of rivers. In mythology, Greek mythology, they like to give the god of rivers to different celestials. But he says he's over all the element of water. And not just on our planet or on Neptune, but he is uh, has some jurisdiction for this whole super universe. Yeah, the whole super universe of Ravanta. Now, not that much. I mean, his priority is Neptune. And right now he is helping Ceres with the Earth. Uh, but the interesting thing that he told us, which was very interesting, uh, and we, this is the part that we were confused about, is Poseidon was telling us that he was involved with the people under the ocean. And this threw us at first, because we didn't understand we thought maybe, uh, you know, you see these movies, you know, of uh, he, his uh, son is called Triton, who's in the movie of um, The Little Mermaid and all this stuff. And, <laughs> and we were saying, well, are, are you the god of the mermaids and all that, you know? And he's saying, no, I'm not talking about that. Uh, he was talking about um, the uh, beings, the beings, intelligent beings under the ocean, not in the ocean but below the ocean. And mm. that's what took us a long time in the uh, team meeting to figure out and find out and understand. And then we asked him, we said, well, you know, we have 7 billion people on the earth. Uh, we said, uh, you know, do these people under the ocean have any connection with the people above, <laughs> above on the land, you know, of this earth? Mm -hmm. And we didn't go into Neptune yet. And he said, yes, there was a connection. Mm. So we had a really hard time pulling out what this connection was. Same number. Huh? Same number. Yes. Oh, then we asked him, well, how many people or uh, these uh, beings. beings are under the ocean, you know, that have a connection with the people that are above the ocean on the land? And he said the same number as above, 7 billion. Wow. So Whoa. then we really started saying, oh, my golly, what is going on here? You know, I mean, we, we were really thrown. In fact, we, we may not even put out this video because we were so in the dark about what he was talking about for so long trying to figure this out. 
Yeah, but we finally figured it out. <laughs> well, um, not a little bit. Tell us, please. Tell us. <laughs> but it's funny because the team during the team meeting, I mean, we look like we're bungling around, you know, yeah. because because we're trying to decipher what he's talking about. And some of, of these, course. some of these, uh, you know, the the way they set up these cosmological systems in the solar system is far more complex than we could ever imagine. You know, so. So I think that we were trying to get a basic understanding of what he was doing or what he was saying to us, and it was really it was really tough. But but eventually, eventually we figured out what was going on. Uh, what was going on is, well, you know, he may be in charge of all the water, uh, the water element in the super universe. Um, you know the. The, the fish and the and the mammals in the ocean and the coral and all that stuff, but uh, we started we started trying to apply some of our other teachings to what was going on. So Diane was saying was asking, well, uh, are you in charge of the beings in the air, right? And mm-hmm. and because the the air is a different element from the water yes. element that, that we learn about, right? And, right. and we, applied the, uh, we applied the Urantia book teachings of uh, the seven adjutant mind spirits uh, coming through the, the local universe mother as mental, you know, as mind. It's a, uh, our, our version of the cosmic mind on our level is brought to us by the local universe mother. So you have seven adjutant mind spirits. No, that that's not what he was talking about. So then we applied we applied some of our teachings about the water element through astrology and through theosophy and other things like that. And the water element is associated not necessarily with mind, but with emotion. With mm. the emotion. With the emotions. So the connection was this that we have a connection or that these people underneath the earth or underneath the floor of the ocean have a connection with us because because Poseidon is in charge of the emotional bodies of the people yes. of the earth. Because yes. there's a tie to our emotional nature, the astrology of it. Yes, that is correct. Yes, yes, and this just took us so long and there, to understand what you're telling us. And there's an extension of this, guys, and the extension of this is that Poseidon is assisting in the magisterial mission because he's going to be working indirectly with people as opposed to um, as opposed to Venus, Mother Venus, who will be working directly with people's hearts and. Um, and Gabriel will be working directly with people's minds for truth, but Poseidon will be working indirectly with people's emotional bodies. Our emotional bodies that have to also be evolved, too, you know, to have all of this happen. So he's not directly part of the magisterial mission. He has been working with people's emotional bodies. Now, we asked him how long have you been, um, you know, working with the people of this particular earth? And he told us that for about uh, a million years. Uh, so he has been working with uh, humans since mm-hmm. their very earliest time when they became more of a modern human and then and certainly more able to be worked with, 
you know, and then you get into the Urantia book around 34,000, you know, B.C., then you, you have people where they are finally um, uh, people like us with our intelligence and so forth. So he is someone who works with, uh, you know, we were trying to say, well, what are these beings? And he was saying, well, they're more fluid, fluid. And we finally got it, that the emotional body. It, it doesn't, and then he was telling us, well, they don't see that they intuit and they feel. And then we finally got it, that he was working with all of the emotional bodies. And, uh, you know, the thing is, he works with also the animals. They have emotional bodies. And even the creatures in the sea, too. But he was trying to explain to us that these creatures that were below the level of the sea were the emotional bodies they are connected with us. So I don't, we don't know quite how they are connected, I mean, how that, that fits in. Uh, we just ordered a book. Hercules, you might be interested in this. You know, I've sure. been telling you that I was really kind of raised by Mr. Blessing, William Blessing, <laughs> William L. Blessing, when I was a little girl. He was uh, born in 1900, and I wasn't born until 1943, so of course he was older, but he was a Baptist minister at first, and then went on, but just now, and here I am at my age, and just this month, I finally, Michael gave me a present, and he ordered one of Mr. Uh, William Blessing's books for me. Now, I've okay. had most of Mr. Blessing's literature over the years, but this book I never had. And, Nick, you know, I think you would be very interested oh, in this yes. book. Oh, yes, this is right Barry, this your, is, uh, disclosure this is for you. Uh, let me tell you the name of it. It's called Inner Earth People. And okay. outer space people. Oh, now, yes. All right. I'm there. Got it. Oh, wow. You're there. <laughs> Me too. It's, it's a, part of the title is Is There a Golden Paradise Inside Our Earth? Whoa. And all of this. Now, you see, I unfortunately, uh, Mr. Blessing passed away before I was really uh, able to start uh, asking questions about his. Uh, all these teachings that he was putting out. And, of course, uh, he passed away a long time ago. But I finally got the book that he wrote on the inner earth people. <laughs> so, when I'm looking decided, this up on uh -huh. uh, Amazon while we're here. What does the yeah, cover look it. like? You got yeah, we, uh -huh. we bought it on Amazon. And as a matter of fact, there are a couple different covers. You want to get the cover that has uh, inner earth people, outer space people in red lettering, and it has a UFO. It has a it has a scene like an inner earth scene, you know, like you'd see in uh, you know Journey to the Center of the Earth or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. But, but very stylized and beautiful. Uh, and there's a UFO that's flying through this cavern uh, in this inner earth uh, landscape, uh, and it's by William L. Blessing, it's William Lester Blessing, and he was a Baptist minister, but he shows in this book how the Bible says that there are people in outer space and that there are people uh, inside of the earth living. Uh, biblical references throughout Old Testament, New Testament, very, very fascinating. But, but the reason I got the book, guys, is because Poseidon had talked to us about the inner earth beings. Yeah. These are emotional body counterparts, you know. And then um, 
So I got her that, and you guys should check it out. It's on Amazon. Uh, there are a variety of covers. There's like a, a brown cover, but you should get the one with the picture. It's very beautiful. And that other, that edition that with the yeah, cover you're describing, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the person who published my essays in the anthologies. The same publisher. Is it really? Is it, is it, yeah, t- Timothy Green Beckley. Yes. Oh yes, yes. That's who. Uh, he put the additional updated material in this book, Timothy yes, Green Beckley. Yeah, probably uh-huh. since he died. Oh, I just want to mention, since we're running out of time, um, mm-hmm. Poseidon is also very involved with the Mars part of the magisterial mission. Now, the situation is this. Because he is the god over water, mm-hmm. after, after these energies... These intelligent energies are removed from Mars, and we were talking about that when we did the Athena um, Mm -hmm. talk on the radio. After that, so that means after the magisterial mission is over, then Poseidon will be ahead of reseeding and repopulating Mars, and he will be the one in charge of bringing water back into the planet so that it can be receded and can be repopulated. I mean, there has been water on there, and he is going to restore it. So he says that will be his part. He's not uh, actually part of the magisterial mission, but after it is over, then he will begin his part on Mars in that way. Well, if anyone can do it, Poseidon can, most certainly so. So, so supposedly, supposedly he's going to be working with the emotional bodies of these uh, these negative uh, focalizations of uh, energy. Under yes? the ocean. Under the ocean. But not on Mars. No. No. Okay. No. no. So what about no. what about Mars? Just basically the. Uh, that is a whole different situation. That uh-huh. Athena and Venus. Oh, and, that's right. You uh, said the, re- the receding and, so and repopulation. Yes. He's going oh, okay, to be receding and repopulating yeah, right. after and putting in, because what, what do you have to have for people? You've got to have food, and you have to have water to produce that food, and you have to have uh, water available to that's make right. the planet um, bloom again. Yeah, it's after the receding, yeah. Yes. After these, uh, mm-hmm. these negative focalizations of energy are, are removed, removed yeah, from Mars, right. and he will, and he will do that. Yeah. So. And so and that, is that an, <laughs> and that is an excellent place to wrap up today's show with uh, water being born, brought back to a place where there is no water and so a new cycle of life uh, can begin. Um, how can folks uh, tap into the wonderful things uh, that you're doing? You're doing many wonderful things. Oh, thank you, guys. You know, you know, we might, uh, I just want to put this in really quick. You know, maybe we could have uh, an, epi- an episode sometime with Nick on and, and you, Hercules, and we could maybe, if after you guys get the book, the Inner Earth People and Outer Space People, we could uh, discuss it a little bit maybe, and we could talk about Diane's experience with uh, William. That sounds, sounds well, like I a plan. That, I know that both of you have so many, uh, so much knowledge about UFOs and things like that, and that would be a really fun thing. <laughs> yeah. So we're at, um, we're uh, we have a YouTube channel. We now have 68 videos up on our YouTube wow. channel. We have uh, wonderful interviews with you, Hercules, and we have well, uh, celestial team meetings. We have spiritual gatherings where we talk to the celestials. 
Uh, we have a couple of talks that I've given, your Rancho Book talks. We have some of our songs that are uh, in tune with the magisterial, mes- uh, magisterial mission message uh, and some of our artwork. So uh, check those out on YouTube. It's Michael and Diane Duncan is the name of the channel. It's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-N-D. Diane, D-I-A-N-N-E. Duncan is our last name, D-U-N-K-I-N. That's Michael and Diane Duncan. And if you want to contact us personally, uh, my email is michaelduncan1 at hotmail.com. And don't forget to visit uh, Urantia Book sites, urantiabook.org, truthbook.com. Lots of wonderful, uh, you can download Urantia Book and read lots of other uh, ancillary materials for that. Thank you. And Nick, how can folks uh, link up with you? You're doing amazing things uh, here in New York and beyond as well. Nick, have we lost you? Mr. Curto, are you there? (laughs) Well, we have mixed information on uh, Facebook, so uh, people can follow the links and uh, get the information uh, from there. And Nick is a a frequent flyer here on the Olympian podcast. So uh, uh, thank you so very much, Michael and Dan. Always a pleasure to be speaking with you from uh, across uh, to the other coast. And I'm looking forward to the day where we can uh, sit down, have a cup of tea or coffee together, and converse face-to-face. Oh, and I'd love to hear someday you talk about Poseidon. I'd like to know something about him. (laughs) We'll we'll plan an episode on that uh, as well. Um, We're going to take a very brief break, um, and we're going to listen to Bone Poets Orchestra's Evolve. And then we will be back with our second guest, Ellen Maxson, who just wrote a book called The Ascension. A handbook for God's uh, children. So thanks again, um, Diane and Michael. And here, Nick has rejoined us. Thank you, Mr. Curto, for joining us. And uh, I will talk to all of you very soon. Much love to everyone. Much love. (laughs) Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye.
conversations, and I'm looking forward to this one as well. Uh, Before we get into your book, please share with us the journey that led to your writing this wonderful book. Oh, that's an interesting journey. Um, Actually, I was awoken. It was quite a long time ago, and I was awoken in the middle of the night by Serapis Bay, and uh, I do work with the Ascended Masters, and I'll tell you, Mm -hmm. Serapis Bay is a master that doesn't usually come to you asking for something. <laughs> He's no. somebody you usually have to seek out. You know, you have. To, I always think of him as somebody you have to be really together to get his attention. So it really got my attention when he came to me. And he said, I want you to come into the other room. I want to introduce you to somebody. And so I did that, and I went into the living room, and I sat on the ground, on the rug, and he said, I think you might want to stand for this. And I said, okay. Oh. <laughs> and he brought in Enoch, <laughs> who wow. was around 
seven feet tall, but very, very thin, like an old man with like a white, you know, long gown dripping from his shoulders and wispy white hair. And you probably know ascended masses could change into any form they want, yes. but this is how he, he presented himself to me. So I knew why I had to stand because he was very tall and we shook hands and he told me he wanted to bring some information that he wanted me to write down because I had been communing with Ascended Masters for, oh, a long time before that, almost 20 years, and, and mm-hmm. writing things down, usually for myself, to be honest with you. So I started doing that, and he wrote things down for me. I, I mean, I wrote things down, and... Um, I thought of it as very, very precious for a long time, and I didn't know what to do with it. And it wasn't very long. It was, you know, about 14 chapters. And um, for a long time, I just, then I said, well, I'm supposed to write explaining it. So I started writing a book about it. And that wasn't (laughs) feeling right to me. (laughs) And then it came to me that uh, they wanted me to flesh it out. So I started fleshing it out, and it got Mm -hmm. sort of dense. And um, this was a pretty long procedure, you know, and I just really didn't know what to do with it. And then about three years ago, it came to me that it was meant to be in a story. And coincidentally, about the same time that Enoch had given me these things, I had started writing a child story, which I didn't finish. And, uh, but the concept really merged itself with it. And that would sort of break up the density of the teaching to put it in something lighter. And um, so that's what I've been doing for the past three years until I was pretty satisfied with it. I felt like I had to flash and burn a lot of things I had put in there because, you know, sometimes uh, it could be redundant and things like that. So then finally I felt like it was ready to go. As a matter of fact, at one point, Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we're never happy with our own work. That's um, very true. I, I was ready to can the whole thing. It wasn't long ago at all. And I'm very close to El Moria. And he said to me, yes. I said, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. And he, he said to me, oh, I like it. And I was like, that sounds oh. like El Moria, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, that made me feel really good. But also, you know, I had to live up to his standards and get it done. <laughs> so that's when I started really moving forward to get it published and everything like that. So that's sort of the whole nutshell of how the story evolved, but it was a very long procedure. It was like almost 20 years to, for that whole thing. And I'm sure I had to evolve during that time too. So, you know, it was a process of me growing into getting it done and everything like that. So that <laughs> Uh, quite a journey, and uh, uh, I know you shared some other details with me in our earlier conversations, and uh, I'm looking forward to exploring the, the journey in greater depth. Uh, but tell me about the book. The book is a handbook for God's children, and how does it approach the Ascension? How does it teach them about the Ascension? Okay. Well, you know, it's interesting. As I wrote it, a lot of times I was guided to jump around doing different chapters. So to be honest with you, I wasn't sure about how the flow would be, but I was going on faith. So it was a challenge for me, too, to have that faith. And 
as it turned out, and, and sometimes I said, are you sure it's for the children of God, not the sons and daughters of God? Because I thought, you know, sons and daughters are those who have a little bit more understanding or maturity as to who we really are. And the children right. of God are all, all the souls walking the earth who, who know they belong to God. Um, but as I reread it in the end, I started realizing the way it's presented is for a lot of souls who may not really know that, that they're meant to grow into sons and daughters of God. You know, they can accept that they're children, but the maturity of who they're meant to come may not have entered their their world. There are a lot of mysteries in it, but it's presented in a way that, and that's part of the story, because the teachings are brought from a mother who um, has really left the earth. It's a mystery whether she's made her ascension or not, but she presents to her daughter when she's a young girl and wants to bring teachings to the earth, and the daughter she asked the daughter to write them down for her. So the daughter is able to ask a lot of questions and the mother explains. So it's not like super simple, but it's put in a way that's very absorbable. But there is a lot mm-hmm. of mysteries in it. And um, I'm really sort of thinking it is for the children of God. And it presents it in a way that when I see how the masters present the ascension, it's really not quite as mysterious as we might think of it in the sense that we are born in perfection. We are created in perfection. We still have that perfection. We're just buried in illusion, and it goes into quite a bit of that and how we have to undo that and how we have to be true to and dig up who we really are because the mysteries and the truth is really within us. And it's the journey of un. un, un unveiling who we really are within ourselves and following our inner guidance. And it it goes through that journey because the truth is really within you. As you go through that journey, you're going to get deeper and deeper and closer and closer to what your mission is and where it is and getting your oneness back with God. And, um, you know, so, so it, it makes it so I think, it's not quite as mysterious as some people think of it. It's just part of the progression that we have as human beings walking the earth. We came here and we're meant to graduate. And many of us have just forgotten that. And, and it goes into a lot of the things you should do um, to uncover the truth within yourself. That, that sounds awesome. And uh, as you go through that process too, uh, I found uh, when I underwent uh, the, the process and awakening to myself that I had the answers all along. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and I knew the beginning, but some part of you fights that and won't give you permission uh, uh, to do it. And a lot of awakening is actually reawakening. Uh, and you see right. that had you awakened to it, you could have done it at any point uh, a lot earlier in your life, but you didn't, you know? So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the delay was all about, now's the time to do it. And you have that proof that it was there from the beginning. And that, that's uh, mm-hmm. both very reassuring and very frightening at, at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And, and of course, you know, we really have to accept who we are. And a lot of throughout the book, um, it puts the onus back on you. It's like, you know, right. the daughter says to the mother, you know, children of God, isn't everyone a children of a children of God? And she says, well, that depends. And she said, what does it depend on? The first thing that God gave you is free will. 
And you have to choose to be a child of God. I mean, it always is putting it back on you. Which is where it belongs. It's it's good to assume responsibility for those uh, things. Uh, We've been taught by this uh, time and the society uh, to be victims, you know, and to continuously see ourselves as being uh, victimized. Uh, mm-hmm. When we're actually powerful beings uh, mm-hmm. uh, immersed in this illusion, and uh, part of the waking up is seeing that you're not a victim and that you can't be victimized, and uh, you're a victor, you're um, a powerful uh, and wise entity that's made of energy. Right, right. And it talks about needing the strength and determination and all of the good qualities, the strong qualities you need to ride the tide. Mm-hmm. And, and it gives, you know, a lot of times it's, it's the ride of time. To ride the tide of our own destiny takes a lot of strength to go on yeah. faith and trust and just, you know, trust that we're going, you know, in the right direction and, and to keep it strong. Um, you know, it's, so it definitely always puts it back on you. But I think the book really is encouraging and supportive in that way. And you find uh, yourself, you've shared with me, uh, in a position that though you haven't set out to be a a teacher or a counselor, people are seeking you out and that you're uh, assisting them. So uh, uh, your awakening has thrust this role upon you. And uh, I must say, I don't know you well, but my interactions with you, you're a very pleasant person. You're, um, you know, you're always in good humor. You have a sparkle in the eye. You speak very simply but powerfully. Uh, so I can see why people flock to you to, uh, to help them uh, solve their mysteries. Oh, thank you. There's something I wanted to share with you. I, you, you, sure. might be aware, you might be aware of this. Do you know that there's um, a decree to Hercules, who is one of the Elohim? Yes, I'm aware of that. Okay. I just thought it was sort of funny because I really love that decree, and I do it a lot. And when you mm-hmm. popped up at my booth, <laughs> I thought that was just too much. <laughs> it's like Hercules showing up. So it was pretty cool. I, I'm very attuned to that particular uh, Elohim and have been for a very long time. And uh, that's a story <laughs> for another day. But would, okay. you care to share, would you care to share the decree? or? Uh... Oh, I would be glad to. It's, um, it's not that long. But, okay. Um, it takes a little while. It has an invocation, which I, I won't say, just in the name of my mighty I am present, and it goes on like that. And it says, O Hercules, O Elohim, I am a child of love. Come and feel my being by might from heaven above. Like a bolt of lightning blue, power of God flashing through. Take dominion o'er me now. To thy light and love I bow. Purify and guard my being by thine eye of grace all seeing. Clothe me in thy power real. Fill me now with holy zeal. I am come to do God's will. Give me grace now to fulfill all the plan of heaven's son. With thy light I am now one. Now that's one verse and the refrain, which is three um, three uh, verses. And then the second, I won't read the verse, the refrains within each one. The second okay. uh, verse is, O Hercules, thou splendid shining, shatter failure and opining, ope the way in love divining, seal each one in crystal lining. And then you go like a bolt of lightning blue. I won't go through that whole thing. And then the third okay. verse is, O Hercules, for strength I call, give me victory over all. Let God triumph over me. Raise thy scepter, set me free. 
And the fourth verse is, O Hercules, beloved one, crown me with thy blazing sun. Set thy hand upon my brow. Raise me to perfection now. And then you say the refrain refrain again. Is that beautiful? That is beautiful, and that's very uh, powerful, and it says it all. (laughs) It's powerful. (laughs) And it has a great rhythm if you just, you know, go through it. It's a beautiful rhythm. A lot of people uh, believe that uh, uh, the gods or the celestials or the ascended masters, they were called the emistas in ancient Greek, the the mystics, uh, that they stopped operating back in antiquity. And uh, uh, they've been going since uh, the dawn of time, and they're still going now. And uh, for those who wish to explore the uh, new theosophies, the new theurgies, the the I am uh, teachings, uh, it reveals what the gods are doing uh, here and now. And uh, it's an mm-hmm. ongoing and living adventure. It's not, it's not dead stories from the past, as a lot of people uh, seem to think. Right. Uh, but one of the things that, that came to my attention, um, really I'm sort of reawakening to the fact that I should be talking more about the ascended masters, like I used to do um, a lot. Am I having an echo here? Uh, there is a slight echo. Let me see if I can remove it. Okay, keep talking. Are you still getting the okay. echo? No. Um, but I think it's really important that peop- the, the ascended masters by cosmic law cannot really interfere in one's life until they're invited in. Yes. So until people realize that they are they are out there and that they can call them, even a blanket call or ascended host, you know, come forth into my life, guide me, whatever, um, they really cannot benefit by the help that is available for them. So it's very important that they be aware of that, you know. So I'm I'm beginning to realize it's it's important to just let people know they're out there and waiting to hear the call. Oh, very true. And uh, that is because we have free will, as you've uh, shared. That's a very important thing. Uh, we have to choose uh, to walk the path that leads to our awakening, and we have to choose uh, to accept the assistance of those who've already done so and are there to help us if we choose to let them help us. Yeah, yeah. Now, how did writing your book change your particular uh, mission in the world? Because now that uh, you've published this, it, it's opening a door for others to reach out to you. And how has this uh, changed your life? And what do you see yourself uh, uh, doing as the next step? Well, you know, it's funny because I did a show in February, and I wasn't sure what I was going to speak of, and I thought it was the book per se. But then when I came to New York and I was meditating, what should I speak on, it became very clear that I should speak about the ascended masters and the hierarchs of angels and the elemental kingdom because – a lot of people, they sort of know about them, but not quite as much as really would be great for everybody to know about them. And well, you know, like in ancient Greece, all the people walked and they were always talking to the, to the uh, gods and goddesses. It was part yes. of their everyday conversation. <laughs> and people don't do that today. They don't realize that it's, it could be part of their world, too, because it's so uplifting to have that, you know, the higher realms communing with you all the time. It's just... Uh, 
you know, you, you don't get bad guidance that way. No, it's wonderful to be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. So just that's sort of what has come to me, that I have to open up and start really talking about that more. Well, you're welcome on the show to talk about it as often as uh, we can find an open <laughs> slot. <laughs> okay, that would be great. That Especially would be great. Can, uh, yeah. Get I mean, some practice you know, and feel more comfortable doing it. Yeah. I just have to, um, you know, uh, 10 o'clock at night is okay. I just, <laughs> I don't know. I guess I'm used to, I don't go to bed that early, but I, I was not thinking keeping myself really, really clear for this late at night, which is sort of dumb. But um, I just want to uh, be very clear that uh, there's so many wonderful Ascended Masters, and, you know, a lot of people are becoming more aware of it, but not enough. Um, It was great being around everybody at the show and everybody who is uh, conscious of that, but a lot of people in the world are not, so they really need... No, they're not. No, and they really do need to be. Uh, this is the age when they have to just uh, open their eyes and see that there are an ascended host, because that's part of what's really important as you start making the ascension. And you're, it's a process day by day where we uh, become more rarefied and, and the earth is moving into energies which we're going to be awakened more and going to be seeing more things on the inner realm. And as you start putting more of your consciousness on the inner realm, you really do have to connect with ascended masters on the inner planes to get a firm grip because uh, as people travel, they could get stuck in the astral plane, which goes around the perimeter of the earth, and it can go forever and ever, and they can go in circles and circles and circles, and they have to have a strong tether to the higher realms, which keep them you know, locked into a good path that they can go beyond the astral plane and go up higher. So it's very important to have that tether. I talk Uh, about that in the book, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, our journey today is uh, swiftly coming to an end. Uh, Folks can buy uh, your book on Amazon. uh, And they could buy it in solid book form or in e-book form. Uh, Is there any other place where they can uh, purchase your book? Well, Amazon, I'm seeing, has a lot of different distributors through it, but right now, just that. I'm getting up a website where you'll be able to buy it, but I haven't gotten that up yet. Okay. And what advice can you give to uh, people who are opening up to the possibility that there's more to life, and they feel it inside, they feel this calling, but they don't quite know uh, um, how to respond to it? What would you recommend to them? What I would recommend is um, starting to meditate. Uh, either take a class or go to a group and learn how to still the mind. Um, that's how I first, I was very fortunate to have a teacher who came by and taught me meditation, and I started meditating a lot. And uh, when I first found out about the Ascended Masters, and when you learn how to still the mind on the inner, you're much more receptive to hearing the voice of a master or two masters or to begin to have that inner communion and to begin to discern one master from another. But it's Mm -hmm. very hard to do in the bustle of the world. You really need that inner quiet. After a while, when you gain that connection, you will be able to discern it in the bustle of the world. But 
to build that relationship, I definitely, at least my journey included um, pretty intensive meditation. It just sort of fit my, my life at that time when I first found out about the Masters in the late 70s. And um, I started and had the names of Ascended Masters, and I could call them and listen, you know, fill my mind. And, and a lot of times you might think it's your own self-talking, but if you are ha- have filled your own mind, you have to build the faith that it is someone talking to you. <laughs> you know, if, if, so you start building that inner communion with the Masters one at a time. I think that's what I would recommend. Thank you, and uh, All Things Happen in Threes, our previous guests, uh, uh, recommended meditation to people. I recommended (laughs) meditation. Now you're recommending meditation. So uh, (laughs) I I guess, folks, if you're listening in, if you're not already meditating, uh, find a way to start uh, meditating. Ellen, I had a wonderful time, and I'm looking forward to our next uh, conversation. How can folks reach you if they want uh, counseling? Uh, well, my email is E M A X S O N, my name, E Maxon, at Y, the letter Y, mail.com. Not Gmail, Ymail.com. That's the best way, and then we can arrange for a telephone call. Awesome. Thanks again. I'm glad I went to the expo. I met very many wonderful people, including you. And I'm looking forward to our next conversation, Ellen. And uh, you're welcome uh, to be a guest uh, and to share your message uh, uh, on the Ascended Masters. Thank you so much, Hercules. It was a blessing meeting you as well. Have a good evening. You too. Uh, We're going to listen to Bran Kerdorian's King of Dreams, and then we'll be back with Ivan Zendro, Hungarian shaman. I have 
Welcome back to Pride of Olympus, our Olympian exploration of cosmic spirituality. Our last segment of the day will focus on the shamanic path, and our guest is Yvonne Zendro, and today we will be speaking about cinematic ritual, the journey from oral tradition to media shamanism. Greetings and welcome, Yvonne. Hey, hey, do you hear me? I can hear you clearly. I'm doing great. How about you? Very, very, very good. Okay. That, I just, that was a wonderful movie. Uh, I shared it twice, yesterday and today, on uh, Facebook. That's a that's a wonderful uh, clip from your movie. I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, the entire film. Yes, thank you so much. It's going to be on uh, April 26th in the Mayak Center. And... Uh, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's about it's uh, the the shaman versus Haino, the judge of blood. Whoa. And uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes. Basically, it's my l- lifelong struggle. It's about my lifelong struggle, and fortunately, a happy ending uh, story Good. about. About my boogeyman, uh, with my uh-huh. boogeyman, uh, the judge of blood from Transylvania. <laughs> wow! <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Yours is an amazing and, story, and you've shared uh, parts of it in the past. You shared the parts about uh, resurrecting uh, the village, and how a lot of your work is uh, uh, focused on doing this. Tell us about your boogeyman. That's a new aspect of the story. Oh, yes. Um, basically, um, there was in the village where I just dropped in the middle of a flood when I was a young actor. Just a hundred years ago before, there was a very cruel general settled down in a, in a castle. And his okay. name was Hainau. And in the local language, Hainau, German name, 
turned to be I know, I know. So somehow the 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 oral uh, literature uh, uh, gave a new name uh, to a historical figure, and at the same time it transformed, morphed into a mythological monster as well. So a cruel uh, uh, general who oppressed the Hungarian Revolution and very cruelly executed people turned to be a mythological monster in in the local mythology and uh, mm-hmm. in the on the night of the flood uh, as a young actor just adventure some I was involved in in the whole rescuing and I heard that a type of monster it caused the flood and that was the revenge of that monster mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, this this incredible interpretation of a mo- modern natural catastrophe let me drink a drop of water okay okay i'm back Welcome back. So this, yeah, <laughs> this uh, this uh, mythological uh, interpretation of a modern uh, catastrophe, like a tsunami or a flood or or an earthquake, it really grabbed my fantasy and interest, and I stayed the, after the flood with the with the rest of the village. And I started to uh, gather together their beautiful legend and mythology. But somehow, with the legend, of course, uh, stayed with me the monster, the boogeyman. Well, and uh, somehow, it seems to me that the villagers uh, left on me the inheritance, this legend to find a hero hmm. <laughs> who can who can defeat or triumph over the boogeyman. And uh, for a long while, I carried this burden, this story like a burden, uh, happily though, but, but definitely not, it didn't help to my health and, and mental state, uh, but, but it, for a while it was a, it had a very positive uh, positive uh, place in uh-huh. me and in a society because everybody at that time at the late dictatorship of the communist uh, dictatorship, everybody was thinking that this judge of blood, I know, is a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. I, I never, I never uh, owned that, that opinion. I always said that this is mythology. You can't uh, identify with political figures, mythological uh, heroes or, 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 or monsters. 
This mm-hmm. is the technology. This is beyond the spheres, beyond the zones of political thinking. And uh, no matter what, when I performed this legend in Paris or in Amsterdam, people always understood that the judge of blood is a metaphor about the dictatorship. And uh, uh, I, of course, I, 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 I let them think whatever they thought. I, but, but definitely the story started to consume me and eat me up, you know? And here comes, here, here comes the adventure, how, how uh, a, a role, a, a, a mid-career, a mid-legend career role, if, if it is not handled fully, smartly, wisely, it, it, can, it, can, it can shoot your own leg, you know? Yes, of and, course, uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, so <clears throat> um, it went on my health. I was, I was hermetically isolating myself from society and even from written literature and from modern media as well. I stopped to read the radio or watch TV or read newspapers because I wanted to recreate a mental state of the, of the unwritten, uh, unwritten culture shaman. Uh, do you follow what I'm saying? That is, uh, oh. that is phenomenally uh, wise. And uh, uh, our first guests for tonight were saying that uh, the celestials with whom they communicate in their form of shamanism uh, also said that we should set aside uh, many hours a day to enter the silence so that we can come more in touch with our own uh, inner landscape. So uh, uh, the, uh, the higher beings are through you and other people giving us that advice that we should um, not get caught up in, in the, the media and things like that, but we should withdraw into ourselves. No, uh, I, I, uh, I, I think I, I'm, I'm a little bit talking about something else. I'm talking okay. about how how the legend was consuming me. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Sometimes I have to uh, drink a little water. That's okay. I'm, so, I'm drinking water too. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, because I was I was isolating myself, not just the from the modern time, uh, but from people emotionally, uh, you know, okay. so some, somehow a kind of, uh, kind of, uh, time for trance and visional visionary state, uh, uh, came to me, uh, when I felt that I'm independent from, from, uh, human, relations and that really ate me up and uh, it i i almost died Ooh. and and uh, yes 
I had a heart operation, and I had I I I ignored what my body mess, messaged to me, and uh, I had first a stroke, and then I had to go for a heart operation. And, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, well, that's that's okay because because uh, we we are not at the end of the story. Hopefully, we are going to a happy end, towards a happy end. Also, also um, certain very uh, shooting pain started to appear in my body um, uh, because because my emotional directions were sucking me down into the depth mm. and. You know, and and then in my in my learning in the next chapter of my healing chapter, I recognize that the living creatures need to move upward, move to slide and fly on the ascending emotions and motions that is probably related with the gravitation which pulls you down and uh, uh, living creatures like a stretching arm uh, of the Mother Earth toward the universe upward moving all the creatures. So uh, that was my first step that I, in the churches and in the, a little bit peeping into the religious practices and uh, ancient uh, uh, ascending uh, songs. Uh, I adapted the ascending, ascending emotion and motion. Yes. And that, that started to heal me. And that started to uh, make me happier. And that started to connect with people and love people and accept love. Uh, and uh, that some, uh, now, and that somehow rescued me from a way to go down, 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 and never up. Uh, it, you, you want to you say what am I saying? I think so, uh, yes. I've, I've also found yeah. that uh, ascending is better than descending. Uh, our, our world teaches us to uh, descend into uh, uh, negative emotions, into negative places, uh, but we can just as easily ascend. And uh, I really like what you've done with your uh, ascending uh, writing. Uh, because uh, in reading that way, you experience an altered state that's very uh, elevating. So, yes, uh, uh, you're encouraging people to rise rather than sink is very revolutionary. And, and it does. It produces euphoria. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and uh, first I wrote a book, Journey to the Upconscious. Yes. Journey, journey to the Upconscious, and then I made a movie about a self-made shaman uh, 
which won the best doc- documentary of the New York Film Festival, and uh, that basically told my my journey uh, from being an actor, young actor, t- finding a mythology, and attach himself to that myth, but together with the boogeyman. <laughs> and, wow, so we get the bigger part and, of the story. Yes, yes, that, but that was a kind of uh, mysterious documentary, uh, and it won the best documentary of the New York Film Festival, but uh, I, my, my, my uh, research toward happiness and toward, 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 uh, toward my role in society, my, my, what, what can I do as a shaman? Just not just to tell an ancient story, which is beautiful and powerful, and uh, many, many big, big festivals invited me at the Pompidou Center and at the NYU. Uh, mm-hmm. So that, that brought a lot of, lot of acknowledgement, but, but it doesn't stop me to corrode and and to 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 lose to to wither because right. I didn't uh, because I didn't uh, directed the flow of the wisdom and the teaching and uh, and and the vision of the myth for the boy, for the benefit of of my beloved and of, of more to my community and to my society. So I was a self-made shaman, as I call myself, mm-hmm. but a lonely shaman. And I, mm. needed to find, I needed to find my community uh, uh, in, uh, in, uh, to, in order to, to survive, to, mm-hmm. to, 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 to plug in. To, to plug into other lives, and uh, and that happened uh, when in Piermont, here in a small little village, embraced the whole village, embraced me, and let me let me became a part of the village, and they officially the whole village for my uh, petition adapted my uh, flood and ruined Hungarian village, which is still in, in, in ruins as a sister village. So my ruined and empty little village, which I, in my dream, will rebuild again, mm-hmm. is already in 2007, so more than 10 years ago. A ruined, empty village was adapted by an American village, a sister village. Well, can you imagine more dreamy, more mythological, more legendary act than an existing community, American community, officially accepts a not-existing legendary village in Hungary or in wow. Transylvania because 
it's, it's really a, a, beyond imagination. It just can happen with people who are really ready to dream and interpret life through dreams. And that was the real plug, plugged-in moment when, my, when I was sensing that my dreamy shaman existence connected with the community. Wow, that is profound and uh, powerful. Um, your it's event a, coming up on in April 26th, and can you tell us yes. a little bit more about that uh, event? Oh, we, what is the time? Yeah, right, right, right. Uh, yeah, where we are now. Okay, we have still nine minutes. Okay, so um, that that positive and 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 human touch relation created a, a somehow a so sweet a so uh, constructive relation uh, in many ways that first I met a Hungarian director who made this uh, documentary film for me. Uh-huh. Then I find in Piermont a very well-off person, uh, Robert Harsh, who was financing our movie. And then I find the whole village, including the firemen and the, and the policemen and the whole or the mayor and the whole village board who supported me in this field. Awesome. Not, it's incredible. It's incredible. Yes, it is. And, and, and all of this about an empty, ruined village somewhere in Hungary, in, in the Hungary-Romanian border, which we can call Transylvania. You know? Oh, what you saying? Which has mythical associations here in this culture because of uh, Dracula and uh, other supernatural terrors. That's how Americans uh, yeah. have embraced Transylvania. Now, what happened that that first I find uh, through the Facebook three super super booper talented graphic artists. Very young people, almost. I mean, I mean, twenties uh, mm-hmm. in Brazil. A, a, a penciler, a colorist, and a letter graphic artist, comic book artist, who in two years prepared with me the whole comic book, the whole whole legend. Wow! I know the judge. Judge of God in two years, uh, delivering me every week beautiful pencil works, then colored, accordingly how I ask the the how I send them the script, and mm-hmm. now we are ready with this 200-page graphic novel, Hein Shaman versus Haino, the judge of blood. Then I find a literary agent who uh-huh. now represents 
and we are looking for publisher for this 200-page graphic novel. But wow. meanwhile, meanwhile, I didn't I didn't wait for the publisher coming knocking on my door, but I through my uh, again through Facebook, I find a wonderful uh, film editor in the village, nearby to the village, who was born in the ruined village, who wow. was the grandson, who was the grandson of a grand-grandson of an old shaman whose daughter told me the most of the judge of blood I know story. So this editor, who is a world famous editor, film editor, uh, Lajos Halas, mm -hmm. uh, accepted my offer and, and together they created a beautiful animation film based, um, based on a graphic novel. And that is what in, in April 26th, this incredible, beautiful, powerful uh, uh, animation movie of my uh, of my of my little village legend will be wow. shown two two times in a Nyack Center at eight o'clock and at ten o'clock. But before we're gonna make a kind of sharing legend and dance and songs, a kind of jamming uh, afternoon. Pick me up, cheer me up, dancing and sharing and masquerade and mask and everything, celebrating spring. And in the evening, I will show how I defeated the darkness in me, in myself. And awesome. for my legend. And, and, uh, to really to put the happy ending I really every penny which go which comes for for from the movie or from anything that I do related with this legend is goes to help rebuild the ruined village. And wow. I believe that the ruined village uh, not gate where I find my legend in the in middle of the night in a, in a flood 50 years ago will now, give life not just for me because I feel myself like a teenager <laughs> no, I'm already 70, 73 and wow. I still have a plan at least for 30 35 years, if not for more. And the legend, in this way that I find community and life, it gives not just life for me, but it will give life for the village as well. That, that's very positive and it's very uplifting. Uh, do you have websites uh, and ways where people can uh, start uh, learning more about you and your life work, uh, um, including the legend of you, which is a very powerful uh, uh, force? Well, on the Facebook, on the Facebook, my uh, the 
legend of you. If they want to connect with me, the legend of you at yahoo.com. And also I have a, a, a website, thelegendofyou.com, where when I am teaching people how they can their own legend. So I invite everybody to come uh, to that uh, day, uh, uh, April 26th, to the Nyack Center. We open the door at 5 o'clock. We'll dance. There's going to be a reggae, uh, reggae uh, Jamaican band who will play uh, different songs from jazz to reggae to gospel. And, uh, and we will share all, all our happy songs and dances, defeating uh, triumph over darkness. Uh, dictators and uh, and please everybody come and be with us thank you Ivan um, and thanks to all who've been listening I will be posting your information uh, before the event on uh, Facebook uh, and uh, thank you thank you again Ivan thank you Olympian blessings to all who have joined us on our adventure now, go forth and create a better world, one filled with light and love. On behalf of the pride of Olympus and her crew, may your journeys be joyous. Blog Talk Radio.